If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The book of Ecclesiastes regularly speaks of observations that are made under the sun. The idea is not in the light of the sun, like a clear seeing, but rather is in the limitations of that which is under the sun, kind of under the dome of heaven, that which has no light beyond the sun. And in a strange way, it corresponds then to St. John's Gospel speaking about the world, or even speaking of the darkness, that which stands in opposition to Christ and the things of the kingdom, which factors in only the things that are in this world, in this earthly realm, in this mortal realm, allows no light from beyond. On the one hand, any time we talk about the world and the world standing in opposition to the Lord, we're reminded that you get kind of both senses of the world in John's Gospel, the presentation of our Lord relating to things. On the one hand, the world that God has made is the world he so loves that he has sent his only begotten son to die, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Those are words of Jesus. On the other hand, in so far as the world limits itself to what is here and now, that allows no insight from beyond, no further light, then it is in opposition to him. It's in that state from which it needs to be redeemed. And likewise, the idea of speaking about that which is under the sun as being in darkness sounds a little bit strange, except if one understands that there is a a higher light, there is a more significant light. And in fact, often what we see in simply the light of the sun, in the light of this world, is only a portion of the reality and what needs to be seen, that we need a higher light. And so St. Paul writes about the need to set our minds on the things that are above. Well, above what? Well, above the sun, above the realm of this world. And to think about it in terms of the light, I always go back to the opening of Scripture and, and things in that first chapter about the creation of the world, the heavens and the earth, where we begin with the light. Now God said, let there be light, and there was light. We've got that on the first day. It's not until the fourth day that you get the sun and the moon and the heavenly bodies. And yet there's already light. There's already night and day. There are already plants growing. It's always one of those great mysteries because we count on the sunlight for the photosynthesis and all. There's a light that gives light. And some will say, well, that's the first of God's creatures, the first thing that he created. And yet there's something more. There's something of a mystery that is there of that light. Fathers such as St. Augustine talked about the light in terms of the creature turning to its creator. It's the light of knowing. It's the light of God. Well, St. John at the beginning of his gospel, those words that we'll hear again at the end of Mass, speaks of the eternal word of God that was with God in the beginning, that was God from the beginning. 
This is the Word who is the light that enlightens all men. This is the light that shines in darkness that the darkness cannot comprehend. This is the one who became flesh, who is the light of men. And we know that at the end of the story in the heavenly city, that there is no sun or moon or stars. There is no need for that light anymore because the light of the new creation is the Lord himself, the one who's seated upon the throne and the Lamb. There is a light that shines more deeply, more brightly. I've commented at different stages when Jesus is encountered on the road to Damascus by St. Paul, Saul of Tarsus, he describes a light that was brighter than the sun at midday. When you get to Revelation chapter 1, John's description of the figure that he turns to see, he speaks of a brightness that is brighter than the sun, a light that is above the sun, that is more glorious. The preacher says that limited to that which is under the sun, there's a sense that all is vanity and is striving after wind. He muses on things and notes that it doesn't matter what you accomplish. It doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter how rich or poor, but also how wise or foolish, how, how righteous or unrighteous, how good or evil that the end of all is the same. If this world is all that there is, it's an emptiness. I often go back to John Lennon's song, Imagine, and this vision of a world where there is no faith, where there's no sense of anything being above, nothing below, that there's nothing more than this. And, you know, imagine what a wonderful world. We're all, there's nothing to kill or die for. We're all living just for today. Well, how have atheistic societies managed? What's the outcome of a communist world? It's not the loving situation that we imagine much more what the preacher muses over. I try all of these things. I look for the way that is right and to try and do all of the good things and live to a good end. What's the end of it? What's the point of it? The righteous man ends up like the unrighteous. The goods that he's amassed through good means, well, they end up the same as the one who did it unrighteously. And who do they go to? They can end up in the hands of a fool. And you might think that at the end of all of that, he's going to say, well, what's the point in any of it? Strangely, he knows that if I can't find any meaning here, still there is one who is beyond all of this. There is some hope in God. There's some reason to commit things into his hands. So you might have in mind that Ecclesiastes ends with the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Even if there isn't a hope of resurrection myself, there is somewhere that these things can be entrusted. Jesus tells a parable that strangely reflects that world that Ecclesiastes presents to us of a man who has no greater sense than the things in this world, has no greater center than himself. It's kind of the interesting thought that, you know, the sun is that highest and greatest light in the sky above us, comes to be reflected and worshipped um, as deity 
We know that this too is a creature though. When we get bound up just with the things of this world, we worship as God what is not God. And the ends are just in this world. The rich man, the rich man who has an abundance, who actually has a time of very rich harvests. And as things are pouring in, all he can think about is how he can hold on to all of it. Because all he has is here. All of his comfort is here in this world. Never once asks the question of why am I given these gifts? If I don't actually have room to contain it all, well, ought I to be doing something else with it? No, I've got to hold on. And I don't know if you found it in yourselves. I've remarked over the years in my own life that if if something comes in, if I've been given a, a gift, if I deal with it right away, I can let go of it freely. You give me a large amount, a large sum for me to do with it as I please. I can quite quickly give it to someone in need. The longer I hold on to it, the more it becomes mine, the more fearful I am of giving any of it away because it diminishes what I have. And it works in us as human beings. Interestingly enough, St. Paul says that the covetousness, that's idolatry. It's not so much what thing out there we worship. When we worship money, when we worship wealth, it's not so much the thing itself, it's, it's the power it gives us to get what we want. The old evil, the old temptation from the garden is always the self who steps in the place of God. And always that's in the world that is under the sun, which factors out that eternal perspective. For this man, for all that he does, for the opening up of the new barns that he creates, the Lord has to say, you fool, you're tonight. The very soul that you're delighting in, the very life that you have here, tonight it will be required of you. And what have you got to show for it? What treasure have you stored up in heaven? You've got it all here on earth, but you know that other parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Where I've said before, in that parable, Lazarus, the, the poverty-stricken man who has nothing in this world, has a name. And into eternity, that name is with him. And that name is actually, God is my help. The rich man, his name becomes a mockery because all his riches were in this world. His riches are all gone. He has nothing in the life that is to come. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable, most to be pitied. 1 Corinthians 15 words of St. Paul as he points to the reality of the resurrection. The old man, Paul will say, is what we've put off, the old man that is the old Adam, the fallen state, the one who lives only in this world. We're to put on the new man who is who we are in Jesus Christ, that new life in him. Interesting in His words, he begins in that passage to the Colossians with saying, if then, if then you have been raised with Christ. But if you read it in context, you know that he's already said that you are raised. This is the life you have. And he goes on to say, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's not if this happens to be true, but given that it is the reality 
you need to live out of that. Your life needs to be focused there. You need to have this light that is yours in Christ. He goes on to say, if you have been raised with him, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not things that are on earth. Which is not to ignore the world around you, not to have nothing to do with it, but to come at it through the lens of the kingdom from that perspective in the light of the kingdom, not just in what we have here of the sun. Last week I was talking of those words of Jesus where he says, you know, ask, ask and it will be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And said that in our prayers we do an awful lot of asking. That's what so many of us know as the life of prayer is asking God for the things that we need. But Jesus assures us if we do truly ask in that right spirit and bound up with with being the children before the Father, he will give. But he goes on to press on, to seek. I said that the seeking is really about us engaging with him. We don't just drop off the prayers, we bring the prayers. We, we seek his will, we seek to be in that light, to see things as he sees them, to, to gain his heart and mind and will. The verb that's used there as he says, set your minds on the things that are above. Uh, Phroneo in the, the Greek, it's the same term that's being employed when he speaks in Philippians 2. Have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And it's not just know the things, but, but let it be your attitude. Let it be your focus. Let it be what forms your priorities. And in that context, in Philippians 2, he's going on to speak about Christ going the way of the cross, letting go of everything that he holds in this world to have all things in the Father, to let go of his life, to let all things die. Everything that we hold in this life, and this is Ecclesiastes, is mortal. The most beautiful of things in this world will fade. The things that we hold on to, and it's part of the illusion that sometimes people do hold on to things in this world, but what they're really clinging to is something that's more than that. The beauty that speaks to us, not just about something beautiful that will fade away. You know, the beautiful flower, it's not the flower itself because it will die, it will fade, it will wither up. But the beauty that is there speaks to us of something higher, something beyond what we see in the light of this sun. Paul says you need to be formed there in the things that are heavenly, your your heart, your mind, your will need to be formed in him. Your perspective needs to be in that heavenly light. And I think again and again about the importance of, of our hearts being formed in prayer, in that relationship with the Lord. The importance always of not just doing the duty of prayer, but actually spending the time with the Lord. You know, praying some of the prayers that we do pray, but actually giving ourselves some time and attending to what we're praying. The Lord's Prayer is a wonderful one to repeat, but not just for the sound of the words, but to actually enter into the heart of what are we praying? What are we asking of the Lord? Eastern traditions 
have much to commend themselves on that level of focusing on something of the repetitive prayers. You know, using the Jesus prayer, using the name of Jesus, crying out for God's mercy, but not doing it just once. Not five times, not ten times, but, but hundreds of times. Sometimes it's not bad just to continue to call upon the name of Jesus. I've talked about it before. Not as, as a mantra out there just to psychologically settle ourselves down, but a way to welcome his presence, to invite him to be with us, to ask him to open up, open up who we are, to bring his light to bear. The whole business of the promise of the, the asking, the seeking, the opening up as we knock, we often think we've asked. And we kind of ask the way that we promise to pray. Somebody says, would you pray for me? I'm going through a difficult time. Would you pray for me when I have my appointment tomorrow? And we say, yes, of course I will. And we've kind of got a note on a sheet of paper that we will pray. But do we take the time and do we hold that person before the Lord Far too often we don't. We say that we pray before God, we wait upon the Lord. Do we take the time? Not a bad thing to think about. Could you actually commit yourself to to praying a prayer slowly before the Lord? Count, again, not ten times, but fifty times, a hundred times. To let the repetition of it be there. The rosary used well has much to commend itself in that respect. Good to pray the rosary when we take time to reflect upon the mysteries. But ask the Lord to bring us into that light, to shed that light in our hearts. It struck me that it might even be a good thing. Some people laugh at red-letter Bibles, red-letter editions of Scripture, where you have the words of Christ highlighted in red. But you know, when you've got a Bible like that, you actually tend to pay attention to those words as you come upon them? Could you get a red-letter edition and just spend the next week reading only the words of Jesus as they're highlighted? But read them over. Let them sink down. It's Jesus has that wonderful expression. Let this sink down into your ears. We need the light of the gospel. We need the light of his kingdom. Apart from that, we are so easily misled in this world. Just two thoughts again to draw together in closing words I've spoken before. I think back to a friend and colleague of mine who years ago spoke about about the issue of abortion and trying to reason through to what would be a godly and a righteous perspective on things. He had nominal Christian background, but he spoke of painting his apartment and rehearsing as he was doing that on his own, the arguments on both sides. This is somebody whose mind works that way. I, I understand this one, <laughs> that, that kind of use of your time. But he said he felt he came to a stalemate. He felt he could argue either side of the issue. And then he came to a point of conversion in his life, just a real turnaround of where his heart was before the Lord. And then he said there was no longer any question. It just seems so clear to me, the life that we were dealing with and the importance of that life before God. It was no longer an argument. It wasn't just of the mind in the light that is here under the sun. It was that that divine revelation that shows things as they really are. 
And again, I often come back to St. John Chrysostom, but his wonderful words about, about that light of the kingdom, the light of the gospel, saying that in this world, when we look into the light, and then we turn and look into the darkness, we're temporarily blinded, because the worldly light has that effect. But when we look into the light of the gospel, when we gaze upon the heavenly glow, it actually enables us to see more clearly in the darkness. The more we fill our eyes with that light, the more we see things as they really are. The more our eyes can pierce that darkness. More than ever in our day, we need to see in that heavenly light. Always things are limited that we see here just under the sun. And ultimately, everything that we have here is vanity. Vanity of vanities, a striving after wind. All of it comes to no end if there is not that which is the beyond. But there is a light that is ours in Christ. And Paul will say, that's where you are. That's the perspective that you need to have. That's where you need to fix your hearts, your minds, your wills. You need to let him not just inform you, but form you in your seeing, in your knowing, in your hearing, in your loving, in the setting of the priorities in your life. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God.